Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing some words. Oh yes, several of them. Several hundred thousand of them. Perhaps even millions. You will have to wait and see. And welcome to episode 12. Yes, it goes on and on, my friends. I'm Alex, the Patrick Rothfuss one. I'm Freya, and I'm the Neil Stevenson one. And I'm Macy, the George R. R. Martin one. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about epics, stories that go on and on and on <laughs> and on and on and on. And... Okay, I'm done. But first, before we go on and on and on ourselves, uh, what are we reading, fellow serpents? Well, speaking of things that go on and on and on and on, I am in revision hell. Still. Yay! Welcome to uh, revision hell. Welcome to revision hell. Oh, I think we said that last episode. You did. You said welcome. This time, I am about to emerge from what? revision hell. She's so fast. Thank you. Yeah. God. Yeah. You I only am... have like six chapters left to do. I'm right? very fast. How? Two. Oh. I have two chapters. Yeah. This takes me like. I've been constantly coming home from work and spending three hours every night doing my revisions. You're such a better client than I am. The thing, Macy, is that Freya went to medical school. Oh god, yes, right, okay. And so she is used to that sort of like overwork kind of like study habits thing, whereas I was an English That's major true. and my goal throughout college, for one thing, I only have a BA, and my goal throughout college was to read as few things as possible. If I could, there were a couple times when I got through a whole class without reading any of the assigned textbooks and i got a's what i i'm a computer science student so i didn't even go to the lectures i just read the wikipedia articles afterwards <laughs> so yeah that's the difference between you and me and freya i hate you <laughs> it, uh, no well it's it's true like when I, when I was studying for my fellowship exams as well i was literally i was working full time hi. i would go to the gym to reset my brain and then i would come home make dinner and then sit home, sit at home, and study for my fellowship exams, and that was what my life was. How you you? And somehow I kept writing fanfic because it was stress relief, I guess. You can't see the faces we're making at Freya right now, dear listeners. But golly, you wish you could. Yeah, there's some faces. <laughs> anyway, so I'm in revision hell. Um, I've also started a few books while in revision hell, so I've only gotten a few chapters through because my brain's quite scattered and not much for attention span. But I have started. Dark Lord of Durkholm, which is one of the few Diana Wynne Jones books that I have read. How have you read? Been... It is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, hold on. What? We need to talk about this. We yes, Alex. We need to talk about this. So, Dark Lord of Durkholm was the very first Diana Wynne Jones book that I ever read when I was 14 years old, and it changed my entire life. And like, it's Aww. it's appalling and amazing to me that you haven't read it yet. And also, I'm so glad that you are now reading it. It's a lot of mixed feelings well, I, right now. I see. I discovered Diana Wynne Jones when I was like, I think maybe nineteen. Like, I, I just didn't read her growing up, and so, and I've loved all of her books, but I've been slowly reading them. 
And, and since she died, I've been、mm -hmm. thinking, oh my goodness, there's not going to be any more.、Oh. So I'm hoarding all of the unread ones. Macy, you have disappeared from. No, Macy and what, I have been she, having silent having having communication here. Macy, Macy is making these faces. We have like our video call open so we can see each other's faces for this episode. And Macy is making a certain face, which inclines me to believe that she has never read Dark Lord of Dark Home or possibly <laughs> any Diana Wynne Jones. Correct me. No, I'm trying to think. Technically, I have not read. Any Diane Wynne Jones? Have you listened?、Uh, yes, I that counts. Pretty much, I own all the Questomancies and like a whole bunch of the other ones in audiobook, and they were the ones that I would listen to on、mm. long car journeys when I was when I was a small. But Dark Lord of Dark,、mm -hmm. Dark, Dark Lord of Dark Home, <laughs> <laughs> Dark Home. <laughs> yes, help me. Was not one of them. <laughs> hey, Macy, have you read slash listened to? Howl's Moving Castle. Yes,、okay. of course. And good. Okay. 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 That's fine. Yes, but but、All、not、right. Dirk Lord of Darkhold.、Uh, <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've been. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Diana Wynne Jones did that deliberately to make I, it just impossible to say、uh, and to fuck with her readers. I mean, in character.、Uh, meanwhile, I have been reading some books. I decided to set myself a challenge over the last long weekend to read a book a day. I did not quite manage it, but listeners, we are recording this episode one week after the previous. And in the meantime, I have read、um, "Under the Pendulum Sun" by Jeanette Ng, which has this amazing whale made of wicker with an ocean inside it. And I don't understand, and I want her brain. And then I read "Annihilation." By Jeff Vandermeer, which is full of creepy plant things and transformations, and it's exceedingly me. And I can never watch the movie because I would like cry constantly at terror. And now I am reading Hild by Nicola Griffin, Griffith even,、uh, which is a I would call it an epic in the old world, the old sense of the word epic、uh, novel about Saint Hilda of Whitby. In the seventh century, in Great Britain, full of warring tribes and noble deeds of daring do, and this young girl who uses her extreme intelligence and observation skills to pretend to be a seer. Cool. That's、oh, awesome. Okay. Is it actually? Is it just historical, or is it science fiction and fantasy? It's. I think it's just historical. I haven't got far enough in, but it's on the long list for the Lambda Awards. So I'm hoping it's going to get gay at some point. Very、nice. good. Very good, nice. Because the only Nicola Griffith I've read was、uh, Ammonite. Ah, yes, I've read Ammonite,、uh, and that was gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Did she get? I think she got the Tip Tree Award. She did for that. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, it's really, really good. Like, I would recommend all three of those books,、um, particularly if you like plant things, which, as as is well known, <laughs> that's your brand. <laughs> and I am in the middle of reading The Poppy War by R. F. Kuang,、uh, which is amazing. It's this Asian flavored fantasy. About a girl who, from a poor village, who studies super hard to get into this,、uh, to take like the the national merit exams, and then to get into this top ranked military academy. And it has like magic drugs, and I'm about halfway through it, and it's fantastic. Highly recommend. Excellent.、Uh, I also just today started watching a hilarious show called Speechless, which is about a family with a son who is disabled, and he is nonverbal, and it's so funny and so warm and sensitive, and it handles disability in a really constructive kind of way. 
instead of making it like inspiration porn. So moving on to our topic of the day. So usually we start by defining terms. So how are we defining epic or how have other people defined epics and are we going to argue with them? So I did a little bit of research. Uh, for science fiction and fantasy books, technically over 150K is considered epic. But this website that I was reading, it had like all the word counts for all the different things. And it said that for every other genre, over 110K is considered epic, which is incredible hmm. to me because I can't sneeze without doing it in over 110,000 <laughs> yeah. words. Yeah, I, I am right in that camp with you. Yes, yes. I, I don't know how anybody manages to make a book in less than 100,000 uh, words. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I would it's say... It's called Accidentally Forget to Put a Plot In. Oh, yeah, that no, would do it. No, I'm fairly sure I could write 100,000 words and forget a plot. I mean, I'm pretty sure. you, you've, seen, you've seen my book. But consider, consider like, a pure romance book can do it in less than 100k. A horror novel can do it in less than 100k. Literary fiction definitely can. Because, like, it's It's just building. Yeah, yeah, it's the world building, I think, what does it. Well, I don't know. This is why I'm always just amazingly impressed by people who can write novellas. Oh, yeah. Because some people can just do incredible world building and a really interesting plot. And fit it into a novella length. I'm just in awe. One day I would like to figure out how to do a short story because I have not figured that out yet. Yeah, says you. What, when is when is the first quarterly fireside coming out with your short story? That's a flash it? fiction. That was 500 words long and it was accidental. Aha. But I will note Annihilation is 60,000 words long. It is very small mm. and very good. And you should read it some afternoon and wonder at it. But I I have a little bit of a different, like, personal definition of epic in my head for what I read, in part informed by the fact that I read A, a lot, and B, really fast. Yeah. Uh, So I read about 500 words a minute, which is silly. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A bit, yeah. I, I read a lot. What can I say? So I don't consider a single published book to be epic ever, pretty much. Like, for me, an epic is multiple books to start with. And I think that's fair. Like, if you ask me to start naming epics, I think all the ones that would come to mind would be series. First of all, how many books counts as multiple? I would say, for me personally, the books themselves have to be long and has to be, like, more than a trilogy's worth mm. for, it to, for me to think of it as epic. Like, when I think of epics... I think of things like the whole of the Dragon Rides of Pern or the whole of Cratchit's Discworld books. Or yeah, see, I don't think of the I don't think of the Discworld books as an epic. I think I think to me, like the Lord you know, the, the proto one would be Lord of the Rings, which is a trilogy. Yeah. So here's an interesting question for you two. The word epic is fairly old and epic poetry is kind of the place that it comes from more so. Do you think then that an epic needs to have a single kind of journey throughout it, whereas the Discworld books or the Pern books are kind of scattered stories in a world and thus aren't really an epic? I think that I would agree with that. I, when I think of an epic, I think of I think one book could be an epic, but it would have to be a very long book and it would have to have a certain scope to it in terms of the plot, in terms of like the reach that it has mm-hmm. so it can't be about like small issues for small people it has to be dealing with like bigger like wide-ranging issues other than that i think that i would agree i think that we're talking about epics as like one 
story arc. Mm -hmm. I would agree. I think that that's what it implies, that there is one story arc and maybe that's a bit of a meandering story and maybe it's lots and lots of people involved in it, but it's still heading towards a conclusion of some kind rather than lots and lots of individual stories like something like the Discworld, which is obviously a lot of world building, a lot of things within a very long series. But I do think that you have to have that one story. And I would agree with Alex in terms of the scope of things, because if you think of literary fiction, something like the Elena Ferrante books, I would describe that as a saga rather than an epic. Like they talk about family sagas and things like that. And it's just, it's just about the words that are used in that particular genre, but I wouldn't call that an epic. So then I'll amend my answer and say that I would consider like the Raymond Feist magician sequence to be an epic, but I wouldn't consider the Rivers of London or Temeraire to be epics because the individual books are digestible. Mm, I agree. I think that I would consider the Temeraire books to be an epic because there are like six of them. It's kind of borderline. Right. Like it could, I could go either way. Question though, is War and Peace an epic? Is this where I admit that I haven't read it? I haven't read it either. Yeah, me too. Okay, none of, none of us <laughs> have read <laughs> well, War and Peace. I feel like we are coming from a position of ignorance. Well, okay, here. here's the thing. We're aware of War and Peace as a cultural cultural phenomenon. And also I have, I have heard the soundtrack and seen a bootlegged version <laughs> <laughs> of Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812. So I feel like I'm enough of an expert on this to so be able I've to talk about it. <laughs> so I've basically read So I've basically read read 70 pages of it because it's not even the entire play it's just like like four chapters from the middle of it but war and peace is dealing with a historical event it's mm -hmm. dealing with these people wandering around as people reacting to history happening around them so it has that scope and it has the length and also i think most people would consider that to be one of the great epics of literary mm -hmm. fiction I think I agree that his historical fiction lends itself to that same kind of feeling. And I think it's because what we're talking about with world building and fantasy is that you've got that sense of a world that's unfamiliar to us that is being explored in loving detail through the characters. And obviously, if I'm thinking about the longest series that I've read, I'm thinking about Dorothy Dunnett, who are not fantasy at all, but they are historical definitely epics. I mean, each book is at least 700, 800 pages long. The Lyman series is six books long. The Niccolo series I thought was six books long, but it's apparently eight. <laughs> and again, it is about individuals in the context of history, but with enormous scope. So then I wonder, our definitions of epics are kind of fairly wishy-washy and it feels like this to me and very personal. Is there something about the experience of reading something that makes it into an epic? Because hmm. I know in the past we've talked about um, you go to a book looking for an emotion or an experience. Yeah. Is, there, mm. is there a type of experience that you're looking for that you find in something epic? I think you would want a really immersive experience because, I mean, most of the time I don't turn to Brandon Sanderson or Patrick Rothfuss. I have to be in a particular mood for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I want, it's sort of like food. Yes. Sometimes mm. you just want a quick bowl of ramen noodles, and sometimes you want a 20-course feast laid out before you. You know, it depends on, like, what you're hungry for. So, and sometimes you just want some fucking chicken nuggets from McDonald's, and there's nothing wrong with that. What I'm wondering is if when you are hungry for an epic, 
it's almost like you spend so much longer in that world with those characters. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's not just what what the feeling you're looking for, but the amount of attention span and patience you're prepared to put into that particular mm. story for the payoff. So you have to enjoy the journey because you know it's going to be, if you're someone who reads a little bit more slowly than Macy, for example, <laughs> it's something that you're going to be spending hours, days, maybe weeks in that immersion because you can have an immersive story that is short, uh, but you're going to expect things to happen more quickly. Whereas I think if you're right. committing to an epic, if you're in the mood for an epic, you're looking for an immersive experience that might have a long, slow payoff, but that's what you want. You want that sort of slow build. You want to really roll around in the world, get to know these people, go on some little diversions, like like playing a video game where you're just doing all the side quests rather than racing uh, all the way yeah. through. I say as someone who doesn't play video games, but <laughs> <laughs> to me, I think that's the thing. It's not just the feeling, but it's the uh, amount of time you're prepared to invest in the eventual payoff of that epic. And I come to this, so I spent a lot of time reading really long fanfics, and I horrify these two regularly by naming things for tent poles that are like 200,000 words long, and like, this is fine. Yeah, she's like, it's only 200,000 words. Yeah, Freeport is, isn't an epic, it's not 500,000 yet. And then these two are like, Macy. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's not, an epic. It's not a binary between epic and non-epic, and anything non-epic you can knock it over in, a, in an afternoon. <laughs> Macy, I mean, two hundred thousand words is what uh, over thirty is about seven hours. Seven hours of hardcore concentration. That's seven hours of not getting up to pee, not getting up to like have some lunch. That's like seven hours. That's like like how we, you know, when we were driving to the nebulas and I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be an eight hour car ride. And it was a 10 hour car ride because we had to stop for lunch and gas and like bodily functions, bodily functions. Yeah. But I was thinking about this because I think you're totally right. Both of you. It is a type of food that you're looking to eat. And I'm remembering in high school where what I used to do is I would read 200,000 words of a Harry Potter fic. And then I would go to the author's favorite list and I would sort them by word count. And I would read the longest three that were there. And then for each of them, I would read the longest three that were there. Oh, I, Lord. Have, I have uh, over 700 epic length by my standards fics bookmarked in various places because I would just want to spend time. And I think that that's something that the fanfic authors who write that way understand they are almost writing as if it's a D&D &D campaign that you're going on together yes. with them. Hmm. Yes, and you mentioned D&D &D, and now we get to talk about two of my favorite yes, epics indeed. that are current and ongoing, Critical Role and The Adventure Zone, and I was wondering when we would get a chance to talk about them. <laughs> I was these. thinking about those because I haven't listened to them, but I've, I've listened to a few episodes yeah. of Adventure Zone and it feels to me looking at the number of episodes and that they're an hour each, that it is like that. It is. It is like that. Yeah. And and Critical Role even more so, because Critical mm -hmm. Role is now currently the longest running, as in the most hours of content of any TV show. It, what? It surpassed uh, The Simpsons, which was uh, the, next, uh, the next longest. How many hours? Each episode is four hours long. What? And they have, like over a hundred episodes so this is why i have not and they started do it, critical and they, <laughs> and they they air a new episode every week see that's not okay yeah see this is why it just feels really daunting like there's there's being in the mood for a degustation and then there's 
being in the mood to sit in someone's fucking castle for two weeks while they just keep hauling out more food. Whereas yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> adventure, mean, yeah. adventure zone, I I started it when it wasn't complete yet, uh, and even so, it's still quite a big time investment. But it definitely feels like an epic. And I think this is what I, can we can we talk about my favorite ridiculously long fanfic? Sure, you can talk Fine. about it. We'll I, see I, I did some maths. Faces. I did some maths. The sacrifices arc by Lightning on the Way is three point naught six million words long. Fuck off. Ugh. <laughs> before no. we go any further before we go any further i feel like we should like spend 10 seconds just clarifying what we consider the standards for epic in terms of fan fiction yes because macy's standard can go can get thrown right out the window macy is not a reliable narrator macy in this particular is an sense and adam adam i'm not speaking to you right now <laughs> Freya, I'm speaking to you. Freya, I'm thinking to myself, and I think that the 150k, uh, 150,000 word mark is like anything over that is what Your I would consider an epic than fan that. fiction. Shh, shh, shh. No, it's not. My book is 140. And also, Whoa. this we're talking about fan fiction specifically, but 150,000 words or more for fan fiction is what I would consider epic. I would agree with that, and I think it's because if you're thinking about published works. Published works usually are a minimum, like a novel is a minimum of 50,000 words, depending on your genre. Mm -hmm. Usually some more like 70,000 is a minimum. Whereas fan fiction, probably the average length of a fan fiction is probably going to be somewhere along, you know, three to five thousand words. Like I haven't tried to average it out across agree. AO3. So in it, by the time you get to 150,000, that feels epic because you're in a fanfic reading headspace. Yeah. Macy is dancing. Macy is dancing because I, I feel, and here is a totally unverified statistic for you, <laughs> that is false. I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like there are, there are some authors who write both short fic and long fic, but in general, fanfic authors either write one-shot type works, and sometimes one-shots can be novella length, but they, they write like a piece, they post it, they're done. Yeah. And Freya is in fact an outlier in this case. Or they write long fix and they go on for a while and they post a chapter at a time and there's interaction with the reader base. Why am I an outlier? Is it because I write long things and then you've done both people like a sledgehammer? <laughs> I feel like you've written multi-chapter things. Do you post them all at once? Um, okay, so the f the few things that I've done that are multi-chapter, there's only two that I've written that are multi-chapter and that I posted one one at a time because I was writing them one at a time. Mm -hmm. Both of those I seriously regretted doing that because okay. of the amount of time it took me to post them. Like I was not one of those wonderful, brilliant people who were like, two weekly posting schedule, here it is, it's lovely, you know, to get some kind of actual following and relationship with your readers. I was like, here's, here's a chapter, here's another chapter, here's another chapter, dead silence for 12 months. Sorry everyone, here's another chapter, I promise this. And it just goes on and on. So a couple of them I did like that, but most of my long, so I'm just thinking, well, actually, the longest one that I have written, I wrote as a one-off because it was a very particularly structured piece and I knew it did not lend itself to serial narrative. It wasn't the kind of thing where you could be like, here's this chunk, here's a chunk, here's a chunk. It was a one-off that just happened to be over 60,000 words. And so this is my theory, is an AO3 lends itself very, very strongly to the one-and-done poster. AO3 has far less of a serial culture than fanfiction.net, which is the other and the older 
large fan fiction website. There's a few others that are fandom specific that also lend themselves to serialized, particularly Twisting the Hellmouth, which is full of Buffy fanfic crossovers, which is a great place to troll for ethics. Anyway, I digress. On and on and on and on and on and on. On and on and on and on. Continue. Anyway, I had a point, which was that if you are looking at fanfic as broken down into posting as a unit and serial fiction, serial fiction gets a lot longer than 150k fairly frequently because it doesn't have an end goal. It just keeps going. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think I, I'm just not used to consuming media like that much. Like I don't watch much television. I don't. I like the things that I'm watching or reading to have a very particular and defined story arc. And so I lose patience with things that just feel like they're going on and on and on for the sake of it. And I think that some of the really good serial writers uh, do come to have arcs, and they'll frequently be arcs like what you would see in, say, the Raymond Feist magician books, where there is a longer plot happening, but each book has an arc. So in longer fanfic, you will frequently see them break it into arcs that are maybe a hundred thousand words long, roughly, and kind of resolve one piece and then kind of spin into a new piece like the dragon ball sagas where there was always a new villain to fight because dragon ball is definitely an epic yeah i think if you're thinking about manga and anime it definitely has that mm -hmm. that kind of structure that it gets broken up into arcs but it's an ongoing serial narrative that just has a little chunk what about comic books i have no expertise in that so comic way. books are very much serial narrative where you have a very small chunk being released at a time and then it gets grouped into like a trade paperback which might be, again, one volume in a series. And some of them have an endpoint. Like, I'm just thinking, my, my, my favourite graphic novel series is Mike Carey's Lucifer, which had 12 volumes. But it was definitely a full narrative in itself. But it had that serialised release mm -hmm. because it, that's the way comics are always released, no matter what the story you're telling. Mm -hmm. Macy, did you finish explaining to us about that mm -hmm. three million word monstrosity that you were talking about? Why don't you... Yes. All right, so... Sell us this story, Macy. Why don't you go on and on and on and on about this three Tell million word bomb monstrosity abomination? Convince us, persuade us. It so here's the thing. It isn't. <laughs> okay. Fair. Terrible job, sure. Macy. I thought you could sell frozen meat. You can't sell us three million words. Three million words. Jesus. Freya, 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 my dear. Don't set me the challenge because I'll achieve. <laughs> Go on. You don't want me to achieve. <laughs> no, that's very true. <laughs> so, if we are done waving red rags at Macy, no, I wanted to say something a little bit different about that fic. It's 3.06 million words of Harry Potter fanfic that starts from a fairly standard, somewhat cliched premise in the fandom. What if Harry Potter had a brother or sister who everybody thought was the chosen one? Mm. And of course, Harry is neglected and the sibling is the favourite. There's a lot of fics that start that way. And it kind of ballooned out of control into this massive world building thing with like different classes of the world having different magic types and all of this huge ritual magic in the background of, of HP, which was not necessarily a more coherent world built thing than JK Rowling made, but certainly a more interesting mm, yeah. one. But I would not say that you should read it now because the... 3 million words is too many words. Like, even yes, by my sense, it's, it's too, too many, many words. words. And when I was reading it, the author was posting a chapter a day. 
The chapters ranged in length from about 5,000 to 12,000 words. The author was writing them live. Oh Jesus. Lightning on the wave is an outlier. Adam should I'm fairly certain that this person was a robot. Did anybody do one of those things where they fed Harry Potter into like an intelligent network and then made it write Harry Potter fanfic? Maybe this was a very early, very I mean, successful version of that. The fascinating thing was that she or they would come interact with fans on, li on Live Journal. It's one of the great mysteries of fandom, in fact. And if any of our listeners have any information, please tell me. So she I'm was a Cylon army. A cryptid. It's a cryptid. This it's a cryptid. This person, I will look it up, appeared out of nowhere on October, what, September 15th, 2005. They posted the first chapter of the first book. On October 5th, September 15th to October 5th, they finished it at 81,000 words. Okay. Okay. That's about three weeks. I mean... And they kept going until January 5th, 2007, at which point they had written 3 million words, at which point they disappeared from the internet and were never heard from again. Jesus Cylon, Christ. Cylon army. Absolutely. It's a fucking <laughs> cryptid right there. It's, it's a cryptid. Yes, it's a fandom cryptid. And please, information on a postcard. Because inquiring minds, mostly mine, want to know. That's amazing. Was this? Was it Sean and Maguire? <laughs> eh. Mm. Eh. <laughs> but my point is that you can experience these serial fanfics while they're being written. And I think it's a little bit of a different experience than reading them after the fact. Yeah, I would agree. It makes it sort of a communal experience, too. It's something that you're going through along with everyone else who's going through going it. Going through. <laughs> well, I, stand I mean, by that's, that's what listening to The Adventure Zone was like. Yeah. In the, yeah. Like, I was only, I only came in, in the latter half of when it was airing, but that's what happened. Like, there would be an, an episode would air, and then I was never actually active in the fandom, but I had some friends who were, so just sort of peripherally, you could see the discussion that was happening, the way people were reacting. Mm -hmm. like the water cooler moments of watching a TV show. And I think that's why yes. something like Game of Thrones has become such a successful one because it's become something that's a shared cultural talking point because it's being released you, serially. Yeah. Do you remember when episode 10 of Yomi on Ice came out and er the, everyone yes. lost yes. their shit? Oh, yes. <gasps> oh, such good such shit losing. That was some good communal experience too. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I came into Adventure Zone around like episode sixty three or sixty four, so like right at the end of that first arc, but still with enough time to catch up on all the all the mm -hmm. backlog and then be there like in the community for like that last sort of burst of of the the finale, which was, and that fantastic. was an amazing example of payoff from yes. time invested. Yes, because of yes. the way that the arts had been built up and the way that they resolved. And so I think that fandom experience of epics, reading along as they're written, interacting with the author, is for me more rewarding than something like The Wheel of Time or um, the Game of Thrones series, which are clearly epics and do have stop points where you get to kind of say, oh no, there was a cliffhanger. What do we think is going next? What is the headcanon? Um, but you don't get to interact with the creators and you have absolutely no influence over the story, which is sometimes true in fan fiction as well, but it feels more accessible. Hmm. And sometimes I just want to consume an epic and not interact. So I'm going to talk about my favorite fanfic epic yes. now. So 
my favorite, which I am going to try and sell to you because I am going to make you two read this and you're going to enjoy I, it. Damn it. I think I'm about 200,000 words in. Okay, good. We, we, so, like, that. I started it. Yeah. I started it. So this is the Down to Agincourt series by Saperis. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Macy's giggling because I'm like making faces and shaking my head. No, no, yep, sir. Yep. No, yeah, sir. You are. You're going to love this. So, so far, the Down to Agincourt series is four books, of which the fourth one is almost complete. It's at 23 out of 25 chapters posted. At one point, she did mention somewhere that her vision for the series was nine books long. I don't know if this is ever going to happen at the moment. No, uh, sir. It's been about a year since she last updated, which is unusual. Mm. So incomplete, but the first three books by themselves stand alone very well. There are over a million words of it, and it is a supernatural fanfic. It is Dean Castiel. It is based in an AU episode. So the thing to know about me is that I stopped watching Supernatural about three episodes into season three. <laughs> I had not met Castiel. I know very little about the grand mythology that has been built in this TV show. And I just read some other stuff of Saperis's and thought, wow, this person's a really good writer. I'll check out her longer and more popular works. Sure, I'm sure I can pick this up from context. As <laughs> one does. So I was playing this fanfic on hard mode essentially, because Saperis does not explain shit. This is one of the way things about her writing, is that it is quite subtle often. It does not explain anything outright. There's no exposition dumps. And it took me a long time to work out what the hell was going on in terms of this is an alternate universe where Sam is possessed by Lucifer and Castiel has lost his grace and is no longer an angel and they're essentially running a militia camp after the apocalypse. My understanding was that this was an AU, a canon AU from a particular episode yep. that Dean went to once. So it, it's, it's like one of these weird things where you have to know that thing about the fandom. This wasn't just made up out of whole cloth. But it no, was like, yeah, that it, was in, it was in canon, which Dean. I did not realise for a quite <laughs> long time and eventually just gave up and wikied something. So I was like, the fuck is this? I mean, in fairness to Supernatural, in fairness to you, Freya, like with Supernatural, it would not be unbelievable that this was just what canon was now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the whole premise is that the Dean in that alternate canon universe dies. Dean from canon, in quotation marks, uh, gets transported to this world immediately at that instant to replace him. So he's been there before once during one of the episodes. <laughs> he sort of knows what's going on, except now he has to pretend to be the Dean that has left, who is running a militia camp uh, with Castiel technically as his second in command, but Essentially, it's about the camp and the people in the camp and building and rebuilding his relationship with Castiel and a whole lot of bullshit to do with demons and mythology. Macy, what? Hey, Alex. Alex, hey, Alex. What, Did you Macy? hear that? It's community building and pulling together to survive the end of the world. I'm not it is. It is. I'm not reading it. After <laughs> the apocalypse. It is found family. It has this enormous cast of original characters, which is why you can read it as original fiction, because there are very few recognisable characters in it. It's like heaps of queer people, amazing, badass, post-apocalyptic people talking about random nitty-gritty logistics of, like, plumbing. And <laughs> okay, now you're getting me. Now you're starting to get me. <laughs> yeah, Jesus yeah, yeah. And on top of that, it has the most amazing fealty, like, liege general relationship ever 
Like, it's a slow burn build from enemies to allies to friends to intense fealty to lovers, which takes, like, half a million words <laughs> for them to actually kiss. So, slow burn. Slow, slow burn. But at one point, Castiel has a vision slash fantasy of what an alternate universe where Dean takes over hell and Castiel is his, like, demon minion and it's all like blood and sex on thrones and stuff oh my god it's amazing alex what would you like to say something i was just gonna say like i can resist i can even resist like the fealty shit like you say oh it has fealty in it and i'm like that's great i love that but no but you're like it has logistics in it and i'm like fuck tell me more tell me more like it goes into incredible detail there are the fourth book, Game of God, is currently over four five hundred thousand words and has taken place in the space of four days. Mm, the first no, three books take no. Place over the first three books take place over about five months. Yeah, so uh, there is a lot of detail to do with sort of feelings and logistics and oh, so many feelings. I do like feelings. It's amazing. This, it's, it's just an investment, yes, you and you have. Look, I've read the first three books four times each, and I'm still picking up on, like, dropped hints and subtleties and things like that. It's so good. It's so good. So I would recommend to anybody reading the first three, and then maybe pause a little and see if she finishes the fourth one. <laughs> but the first three on their own are very satisfying. I think the first one's only, what, 178,000? It's like a novel. A long novel, yeah. but yeah. It's fine. It's it's fun. It's so good, and there's like random Roman history, Alex, <laughs> and like mythology and shit. Ah, oh, it's so good. Uh, the longest fic that I have ever read. If you are if you are finished talking about your monstrosity, I will now talk about my monstrosity. <laughs> uh, I I read this abomination sure. when I was I think like fifteen or sixteen. <laughs> And it is Repossession by uh, Lazuli Cat, oh, yes. which is a Buffy fic. And it is about Spike and Xander. And it has amnesia and multiple personality shit and like past lives and reincarnation <laughs> and all sorts of things. I could not get an exact word count on it because it is posted on this person's uh, personal website rather than on AO3 or anywhere. But I did a little bit of an audit. I audited a random eight chapters out of the 124 total, plus the ah. first and last chapters for a total of 10. And I came up with an average word count of 6,036 words per chapter for an estimated total of, drumroll, uh, 748,464 words. 750? Estimated. Yeah, that's respectable. Yeah, that's a respectable, respectable. See, epic, you know. Yeah, yeah, like three quarters yeah. of a million. That's definitely an epic by anyone's yes, standards, least, even Macy's. That's at least one of the later uh, sacrifices are. Get the fuck out, <laughs> is what I have to say to you. So, so how was it released, Alex? Was it released on a regular schedule? Yes, and here's the interesting thing. So I only discovered this recently because I came to it after mm -hmm. it had long been finished. But she was posting a new chapter like mm -hmm. every two or three days. I think most of them were closer to like the four to 5,000 word length. And then towards the end, she got a lot longer. There's a couple at, towards the end which are like upwards of 8,000 words. But still, like, a new chapter every two or three days is significant. That's like a 
So like, a minor cryptid. fan of cryptid, but not an extreme cryptid. No. And she did publish other things. Like, she has a bunch of other fanfic on her website. I don't know if she's still active, though. And so if you're thinking about the one that you're talking mm-hmm. about, basically, that um, Lightning on the Wave sacrifices yes. one was broken down into books, and Down to Agincourt is also broken into books. So is Repossession just one long, long, long story in 5,000-word chunks, or did it have segments or arcs? Or it, was, it was broken up into three quote-unquote parts, which are beginning, middle, end, and the beginning, I think, is like 12 chapters, and the middle is by far the longest, and I think the end has like maybe 20 chapters. And if it's okay, I mean, I always love to mention the Lightning on the Wave one as an example of the extremes to which fandom can go, uh, but my actual favourite long <laughs> is a different one. Um, I would always go back to Embers by Vathara, which again is full of logistics and rescuing an entire nation and setting up a new home in a volcano and like surviving the coming of devils as a king founding a new country and like looking after all of your loyal people who are coming to follow you have have either of you watched avatar the last airbender no well okay i saw one episode like one time zuko is the main character of this and He's kind of prickly and he says the wrong thing and he doesn't have an easy time of becoming this figure of loyalty and gathering all of these. It's it's very, it's a little bit like Goblin Emperor if Maya was very prickly and people perceived him as an asshole. Like that Zuko has kind of hobbled by that and it's 700,000 words long and it's one arc straight through. Is it AU? Mm. It like canon is, so it's not just straight post-canon? No, it's not straight post-canon, and it does a bunch of world-building that is not canon, but is quite interesting around the different nations and concepts of loyalty as a thing that can affect your health and potentially kill you if you are from the Fire Nation. And it does some really cool stuff. But it is like an original story, almost, that kind of spins out from Avatar. So I'm going to posit something, and that is from what we have discussed so far and from thinking about fantasy epics and epics in general, I'm going to say that the space to explore world building or the ability to world build is probably one of the most important things when it comes to the benefits of writing an epic, but it is also one of the greatest possible pitfalls of writing epics. Discuss. <laughs> Macy. Uh, you, you have given me a great segue into macy's fun facts fandom history corner yay there's so many corners (laughs) there are so many corners we are in a dodecahedron up here so i did an inexact survey of my list of long fics that i've loved in the past looking for kind of patterns in which fandoms tend towards what i consider epic which at above five hundred thousand is not many fandoms um and there are two big fandoms that tend to have large fix of that nature. One of them is Harry Potter, and I think in Harry Potter you're totally right, Freya. There's a lot of world building going on. There's a lot of things like Methods of Rationality, which is a fanfic that asks a what-if about the world building. What if everything was, was logical and we could send the Horcrux to the moon and then nobody could get it? Things like that. Then there's things like Prince of the Dark Kingdom, which is at 1.25 million words long, which is fanfic where I think in that one 
Harry Potter goes back in time and is or no, Harry Potter is adopted by Lord Voldemort and the world is under Voldemort's thumb and it's very AU. Lots of AUs in Harry Potter epic. And then we have my favourite, which both of you deservedly will mock me for, the Naruto self-insert. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Macy, I say this is someone who has written Naruto fanfiction. No. Okay, no. like, set, set this aside. I'm not actually asking you to read these at all. I'm commenting on them as a sociology uh, thing, which is, first off, mimetic transfer in fandom is a fascinating thing. See also Severitis Fix. But there, there is a tendency in fandom for someone to have an idea and it to be a good idea and other people to adopt it and use it and write fix in conversation with it. Yes, that's how you get, like, fanon versus canon. Leather pants, Draco. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, a thing happened in Naruto. Oh, I feel like we're just, like, trudging through the murky meadows of Macy's childhood. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Leather pants, Draco was not particularly a factor of my childhood. But Naruto self-insert fanfic, I did some maths. I added up four of the longer ones and I got to 2.7 million words just in those four fics. The the prototypical one, Dreaming of Sunshine, is 690,000 words long. I have a few others here. Catch Your Breath at 868,000. Irion in Casa at 580,000 words. And Macy, I'm going to have to stop you because the scribes are going to link <laughs> all of these in the show notes <laughs> and some poor soul is going to try to read all of them. For, I mean... for the good of everyone, for the good no. of all our listeners, okay. woman, listeners, stop, darling listeners, <laughs> darling listeners. I do suggest, like, Dreaming of Sunshine is legitimately a good fit. You should read it. The other ones are also very good, but like, one is probably enough for people who aren't me. But my point here is, the Naruto self-insert world is about exploring the world of Naruto and all of the cool things you could be or do in it without actually changing the world building or even necessarily what happens in canon. Like, a lot of them do change canon in small ways, some in large ways, but one of them, Dreaming of Sunshine, is about being born again as Shikamaru's twin sister, and growing up in that family and having magical power over shadows. Uh, there's another one, Iryodin Kasa, is about being a missing nin and a criminal and growing up as a criminal. And so it's really interesting to me because it doesn't do the world-building thing, because there's so much in the Naruto-verse that's just strange and out there. There's so many pockets of weirdness that there's such fertile ground that authors don't need to invent things. They can just say, okay, but what would the Village of Mist actually be like from the pieces and hints that we've seen? Well, see, to me that is world-building, or at least it's world-exploring or world-enhancing. And it's like looking at someone's canon and saying, I want to treat this as my own personal Skyrim, mm -hmm. and I'm going to write about my avatar yes. walking around and exploring all the weird little pockets. Yes. And I can see the urge that would lead you to do that. I can see why it would be enjoyable and even, I suppose, to follow along, like if you're watching mm -hmm. someone walk through the world. But again, I think I would just get frustrated if there were no hints of a larger story that is going somewhere and then going to end. I think it's because I'm a, it's because I'm a plotter and not a pantser. <laughs> the idea of pantsing your way through 600,000 words of world exploration to me, is very weird. That's fair. I think, and when I was in there looking, poking around for other long fics, I did find a bunch of um, anime fandoms have like one really long fic or a couple of really long fics. And there are some strange fandoms that do this. Like Fate Stay Night has a bunch, which you wouldn't necessarily expect from, I believe, 
a mildly erotic video game, <laughs> like dating sim, but with swords. I might be entirely wrong about what this canon is, but... The heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> I mean... I mean, I guess. Also, I found a 425,000 word Keladli of Mindelin fic. Oh, wow. Which, um, the writing improves over the course of the story. It does some interesting things. It could have done them maybe a bit shorter. And if you're reading it, content warning for chapter 10. But it's something that if you loved Tamora Pierce books and wanted more of them as a child, I can see where writing that would come from. Mm. I agree then that it, in terms of fan fiction, there are some parts of the epics there that it's about the world building. Some of them I think is really just, you're right about serialized storytelling mm. and you know, creating some uh, relationships and groups of people and then just exploring them in great detail. But if we're thinking about so original fiction mm -hmm. now, fantas fantasy epics yes. or, or, or historical epics or things like that, world building, I would say, is one of the reasons why fantasy lends itself to epics because people create worlds and they want to play in them. I mean, Lord of the Rings was Tolkien inventing a whole lot of random mythology and then just playing around <laughs> with it. And it just so happens to be, you know, a, a coherent story arc if you're looking at the three books that are the Lord I of the I find that extremely relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Alex, talk about that. Well, I mean... Conspiracy of Truth started out as it was only supposed to be for funsies. It was only supposed to be like a world building experiment because world building is my favorite part. And then I was like, well, look at all this world building I have. I wonder if I could do something with it. Uh, and, and if you think about like, I haven't read or watched Game of Thrones, but obviously there's a shitload of world building in that that is delivered in form of an epic story that has enormous cast. And I think not all fantasy epics have a large cast. That is one way for you to explore all the little corners of the world that you have built mm -hmm. without just have forcing a small gang of intrepid adventurers to randomly travel to every continent for no apparent reason. I think that an author who does this really well and interestingly is Jacqueline Carey with the Pushiel's yes. Dark sequence. Yes, Because it's a set of fantasy trilogies and each of the trilogy is an epic with an arc, with a quest, with a war. Mm -hmm with the fate of kingdoms and royals and spies and, you know, courtesans and BDSM. Um, and, <laughs> but it explores the world. It takes you across multiple corners of this really cool fantasy world that she's created. And I don't know if I would call it an epic in the sense of differentiating Robert Jordan from Top Firm Pratchett. I think maybe I would, because I feel like each of the trilogies is an epic of itself. I think that I would consider Kushiel's Dark to be an epic. I can see where like your hesitation is. Like it is a little bit borderline, but I think that I would say it's it's kind of in the same category as Temeraire. I would say actually it's more close to the epic than Temeraire. Okay. Just from the the scale of so we mean something specific sometimes when we say epic fantasy. We mean the, you know, armies and kings and yeah. riding to battle. And saving the world and defeating and the Dark Lord, the yeah. Whereas in fandom, typically epic is referring purely to word count. Yes, yes. I don't, of the epics that I have read or have seen on the internet, it does not seem like most of them have that huge scope and that huge overarching plot. Embers does. Oh, well, okay. Embers is kind of an outlier then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, but you're totally right. Like, in general, that's not the point. So, do you think that 
these professional writers go in with a plan? I think some of them certainly do. Yeah, maybe not all of them. But people can get really enamored of their own world. That's why I was talking about it as a possible yeah, pitfall. And it's because if you think about the fantasy as a genre and historical fiction as a genre, mm-hmm. are genres where it is tolerated, embraced, mm-hmm. accepted that you will spend a lot of time creating a sense of place and creating mm-hmm. a an authentic world. Mm-hmm. So something like Dorothy Dunnett's historicals and so Neil Stevenson, I mentioned at the beginning, The Baroque Cycle, which is three 900 plus page books of essentially history they're not quite alternate history they are set during the history of our world and they take quite a lot of liberties with various historical figures but they are showing people moving through the history of europe essentially and the stakes are often high because they are interacting with people who are high up in society but it's still historical fiction mm. and he spends a lot of time. I mean, this is Neil Stevenson. He's just like, you know what we're going to do now? We're going to have a diversion on the history of the English mint. And then he'll spend like four chapters telling you about how Isaac Newton ran the mint for a while, or he'll like run off to some other corner or have one of his characters run off to another corner of Europe and discover some weird trade there. There's a lot of things that feel kind of self-indulgent, not to the extent of Victor Hugo, <laughs> of, of <laughs> enormous diversion on the history of the Paris sewers fame, uh, but in a way that I think if someone, if they were doing it in a more traditional, here is a narrative sense, then an editor would just sit down and be like, Neil, for the love of God, you know, this is not relevant to the plot, please get rid of some of it. But because in history and in fantasy as genres, people like that immersion, mm-hmm. that I, that sense of sinking in and exploring the weird corners. You can get away with putting in a lot more less relevant plot-wise stuff because it creates that sense of immersion and that sense of place. So do you think that we can differentiate between TV series which are just long and TV series which kind of feel like epics? I'm thinking about Nirvana in Fire here, but it's definitely I mean, not you're the always one. thinking about Nirvana in Fire. <laughs> I mean, that this is not false. That, that is false. That is false. Sometimes I'm thinking about captive twins. No, that's Freya. <laughs> that's me. Look, I think if you drew one of those ridiculous diagrams that's like your brain and then lots of little circles, that kind of you know, implies that at all times there is a small portion of my brain that is thinking about captive prince. <laughs> but I would say that there is also a slightly smaller circle, but nevertheless there, that is always thinking about Nirvana and Fire. But but you know what I mean, Freya, for, from watching it, like that, it feels, it's a high political drama with kingdoms and armies and, and fighting, and it's very long, and it does mm. do the world building thing, kind of similar. I think Ch- Chinese historical mm. TV dramas lend, are very much in that genre. Like they lend, they do epics very, very well because they just throw money at the costume department and everything is a million episodes mm-hmm. long. And uh, yeah, about, about politics and about the fate of nations and and that that definitely has an epic feel to it. So I agree. I think there's when I think epic, I'm not necessarily thinking in terms of long serialized storytelling. So you kind of found a split in how we think of things that we describe as epics here. Yeah, because in terms of long serialized storytelling, I don't think that any of us would consider Dickens to be epic. Hmm. See, I was thinking about that because he's just long. He's just long. I fucking yeah. hate that guy also. <gasps> hey, by the way, yeah, I don't, think, gotta it, make I don't think any of us would describe Friends, the television show, oh, no. as an epic. All the Simpsons. But it was 
they, all the Simpsons with the bit here. They are certainly long. <laughs> I might, I might describe the Pern books as an epic. I would say. Maybe. It, it's not, it's a little bit more so than the Pratchett books because it is linear. It's just, it, but it's similarly to the Pratchett books has like this segment is in this place and that segment is with this group of people. So it's kind of like piecemeal. I could go either way. Yeah. And Pratchett also has a whole lot of concern for the little people. He, mm -hmm. he spends a lot of time and attention on them and their lives and how they are affected by occasionally these huge sweeping things that are going on around them. But the focus is on the the little people and what they can do and the effect of things on their lives rather than on like the big sweeping historical stuff i think that i love epics that can cover both i was just thinking to myself do i believe that the broken earth trilogy is an epic and i think i absolutely do i would agree yeah yeah and, and one of the reasons i love it is because it is down in the earth with the with real people living in villages trying to figure out how they're going to eat but also it's the end of the world and we're going to do some magic and save the moon at the I same mean, time the classic high fantasy hero's journey is about a gradually expanding eye of the world like it starts with the farm boy or you know someone who is low down and it's a slow progression to when you get to save the world kind of stakes but i think you're it doesn't go back it doesn't go backwards and say here let's let's go back to the farm and think about everybody else who might live on a farm it's about farm boy moves to larger city from larger city goes to capital gets involved in court politics magical sword saves the world i'm thinking of david eddings yes quite specifically so while young macy was reading thousands and thousands and thousands of words of naruto and harry potter fanfic millions young freya who only, i only discovered fanfic when i was about what 15 16 so when i was in my early teens i was reading a lot of high fantasy epics i suppose and a lot of that was just rereading David Eddings before I realized everything that was wrong with David Eddings. But I think for me, the the thing that The Broken Earth does that's so unique, maybe not purely unique, but it's the one that comes to mind that does it, is exactly what you were saying, Freya. Uh, the classic hero's journey picks up the hero and moves the hero from one sphere to a different sphere. And they were once a farm boy who needed to think about where food was coming from. And now they are a king who needs to worry about viziers and political marriages. Whereas um, the characters in The Broken Earth start out worrying about what to eat. And they still need to worry about what to eat. Their sphere expands, but it never they don't move away from what they once were. They just grow. And I think even they even if you're thinking about a, a fantasy that goes from farm boy to king or whatever, there is a very clear arc and a clear goal. And I think well, you know, people talk about David Eddings doing the same arc over and over again in the series, but it clearly is effective mm -hmm. as a storytelling tool, which is why it, it obviously he's a very popular writer. I read, I loved those books when I was in my teens, and I can't believe I didn't think of when I was thinking about fantasy epics and people who maybe did not know where they were going when mm -hmm. they started writing. Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Oh, yeah. Have you read that? I read the first book and decided that it was, like, bro fantasy and that I didn't give a shit. And I stopped reading. The first book is not 
really reflective of what the series is like at all. The series is batshit weird in the way that Stephen King can be, and you have a sense that they, it's kind of heading towards something, but it's very obvious that Stephen King is a pantser because I think by the time you get to sort of book six and seven, you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, it's kind of heading towards something, but by then you're really invested in the characters and the world building is amazing. Mm but it's very much a pants series and you get to the end of it and you're like yes well that was a fun journey not sure how i feel about it but it's very epic all right so do you want to talk about brandon sanderson oh i i had a brief piece of brandon sanderson trivia which is that for one of his recent uh books in the stormlight archive the draft that he handed in was so long that he had to cut it down because the publisher just just did not have the technology necessary to physically print and bind a book of that length. And so I think that kind of sets the bar for epic length I mean, fantasy. at that point, your editor has to say, Brandon, Chill this out. is three books. I mean, <laughs> please find some nice dividing points. Did somebody, yeah. uh, did somebody say Seth Dickinson? Uh, I mean, look, I have a lot of as an overwriter myself, I have a lot of sympathy for people whose first drafts are probably far too long. But I feel if you get to the point of handing it in and expecting someone to more or less print the book as is, it should be within the bounds of current printing technology. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is why we should all turn to fanfic and write seven hundred thousand words of Gundam Wing. You know what? I'm cancelling the podcast. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. So, when I was a small, I used to wake up at five in the morning to read fanfic, which surprises none of you, I'm sure, because my parents, uh, they would disable the internet at 10pm, but it went back on at three and that's how I managed to get as far as I did with the Sacrifices arc. It set me up with a reading speed of a literary agent and an insatiable appetite for fantasy, but I suppose there are worse ways to be. We have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence on July 18th, we'll be discussing scheming schemers who scheme. If you want to prepare in advance, one of the tent poles for that episode is a Nirvana in Firefic called Lithograph by Romantic Drift. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give him a heads up. And in the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations. Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join the conversation in our fan Discord chat linked in the show notes. If you enjoy the podcast, remember, review us on iTunes. And by the way, did I mention that you have amazing taste in music? <laughs>